Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. We are live and on demand here on the Blaze Radio TV and Podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here with me. Aaron McIntyre is here as well. 888-900-3393 is the number if you'd like to join us too. 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We have an interesting day. We At least we hope we do, lined up for you. We're going to continue our book study. Looking back, it's been about a quarter century now, 26 years, 27 years, since Rush Limbaugh's one of all-time still best-selling nonfiction books in modern American publishing, The Way Things Ought to Be, came out. And we've been doing a chapter-by-chapter book study, both with the benefit and detriment of hindsight in light of today's environment. The chapter this week that we're going to look at as Rush wants to relitigate the 80s, that the left of that day is attempting to uh, redefine and recharacterize. It, it, it strikes me as a proto version of the debates that we're having now between socialism and um, universal basic income and things of that nature. So looking forward to that coming up in the next hour of the program. I'm getting a lot of feedback uh, from you in the audience about this book study that can a lot of you are telling me it's both fun and frustrating or words they're about at the exact same time. If, if you are, if that's the reaction you're having to this, because we didn't do this for nostalgia, all right? Uh, we, we're not big on this. We, we don't mind tradition on this show. Todd is the Catholic on the panels, a little bit more in favor of it than maybe Aaron and I are, but as a basic premise, all three of us think tradition has a place. None of us are really all that hyped up on nostalgia, right? At least not as a worldview driving force. So, so we didn't, we're not doing this book study for nostalgic reasons. If, if you're coming away with this thinking, you know, it's kind of fun to look back, but it's frustrating given where we are, then all I'm going to say for now is you have come to the reaction that is the reason we made the decision uh, several months ago. Uh, to do this. So that's coming up in the next hour of the program. Our good our good friend Bob Vanderplotz uh, will be joining us from the family leader here at the bottom of the hour talking about, yes, the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing is now racist and sexist. We'll get into that and more. But before we do any of that fun and frivolity, we must find out what zany hijinks ensued while we were away. Here's Aaron. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by this. We'll start with the latest person to try the Jussie Smollett Act. That would be Georgia State Representative Erica Thomas, who posted this video late last week. So you know what I decided? I decided to go live because I'm very upset because people are getting really out of control with this. With this white privilege stuff. I'm at the grocery store, and I'm in the tin out, the out that says 10 items or less. Yes, I have 15 items, but I'm not much pregnant, and I can't stand up for long. And this white man comes, this white man comes up to me and says, you lazy son of a He says, you lazy son of a You need to go back where you came from. (laughs) 
To which the left and the media, sorry for the redundancy, reacted by doing this. Yes, sympathy cries from the left blew this story up over the weekend. But of course, not everything is as it seems. The guy Erica Thomas claims told her to go back to where she came from is actually Cuban, and he spoke up outside the grocery store where this event took place. Do you feel bad? Me telling you to go back where you came from? Do you do you feel bad about yesterday? Did, did I say that? Did, yes, you were you serious? So you didn't say Did anything? I say what it? did you say to me then? Is it on video? What did you say to me? I called you a lazy Okay, that's, that's all the you worst did. thing I said. That's all you said to me? Yes. Okay, because that makes you look better because everybody's after you now. So that makes you look better to say that. And coming full circle, Erica Thomas said this. He said, he said go back, you know, those types of words. I don't want to say, he, he said, go back to your country or go back to where you came from. But he was making those types of references is what I remember. So at the end of the day, it wasn't racism. It was just two people being jerks to each other at the supermarket. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other members of the squad were back at it over the weekend. I personally believe that U.S. Americans... Oh, I'm sorry, I got the videos mixed up. Here you go. He is stoking white supremacy, and he is allowing, frankly, neo-Nazi groups to go off unchecked because that is a key part of rousing his base. Meanwhile, a video surfaced over the weekend of Rashida Tlaib, another member of the squad, back from 2016, where she was escorted out of a Trump event. You people are crazy, says the hopping woman while being kicked out of an event. Gotcha. Let's check in on Joe Biden, shall we? Oh, my. Uh, Perhaps Marianne Williamson can save the Democratic Party. I'm going to ask the white Americans in the room to please repeat after me. On behalf of myself and on behalf of my country, to you and all African Americans, from the beginning of our nation's history, in honor of your ancestors and on behalf of your children. Please hear this from my heart. I apologize. Please forgive us. Well, maybe we should move to Canada after all. Speaking of Canada, an immigrant to Canada who owned a Vancouver-area joint which performed Brazilian bikini waxes has been forced to close her business after a dude who feels pretty filed over a dozen gender identity discrimination complaints because the shop wouldn't wax his... Junk. And now, learning Spanish today. Today's phrase is, please don't make me wax your Por favor, no me hagas encerar tus bolas. Back to America, the American Psychological Association Society for the Psychology of Sexual Orientation and Gender Diversity, which is apparently a thing, is launching a new task force to promote consensual non-monogamy. That's going to end up really well. The Daily Beast published a story exposing New York Yankees legend Mariano Rivera's politics, calling them right-wing. Why now? Well, he was just inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame over the weekend. Bernie Sanders announced his campaign is cutting its paid staffers hours in order to provide them with a $15 an hour minimum wage. And finally, campus reform strikes again. 
I'm Kappa Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're going to be asking students for their opinion on the policy of deporting people that are illegally here and have broken the law. We're going to be reading them a quote in support of that policy, but what they don't know is the quote is actually President Obama's. I have a quote for you here that's been making the rounds on social media about the deportation of criminal illegal aliens. We are a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our laws, and I believe they must be held accountable, especially those who may be dangerous. That's why over the past six years, deportations of criminals are up 80%, and we're going to keep focusing on threats to our security. Uh, what's your thought on that quote and that policy in general? Uh, I think that policy comes from a place of like white American nationalism. Donald Trump has kind of like embraced this rhetoric of like racism and xenophobia that is not be beneficial to our country at all. I don't think that that quote really stands. I'm going to show you the person that said that quote. <laughs> is that surprising? Yeah, a little bit. Why is that surprising? Because I thought it was the Trump administration that said something like that. Yeah, it's quite surprising. I thought it was from Trump. I didn't expect it to be Obama either. Why did you not expect it to be Obama? Um, because... I just, I guess, I don't know, like, it just never, it never occurred to me that it could be Obama. And that's what happened while we were away. <sighs> that montage. Wow. Aaron's montage today brought to you by our friends at Home Title Lock, who want to remind you that a recent episode of 60 Minutes wasn't nearly as tragic as the last couple of minutes of Aaron's montage. Although there were other minutes that just, I, I laughed out loud. That, that, that Biden video, I'd not seen that. That just happened too. Yes. At least it surfaced over the weekend, at the very least. I can't even imagine if you're like backstage working for his campaign. What you were thinking. Well, if you are working for Joe Biden's campaign, you, you clearly cannot protect yourself from his lack of self-awareness. But you might be if you, if you still own your own home. That is if Bernie Sanders doesn't own your home too, all right? Uh, if you still own your own home, uh, you can protect it from scammers and thieves uh, that are taking advantage of the new crime wave sweeping the nation known as home title fraud. This is what the former FBI uh, head of cyber crimes was warning about on 60 Minutes a few months ago. Uh, because what's happening now is, first of all, for most Americans, their own home is going to be the most valuable investment they're ever going to have. And so those home deeds, the mortgage notes, the, the, the titles, a lot of these are now kept online, which makes them more accessible, but also therefore more vulnerable to scammers and hackers. They hack into these databases, forge their name onto your paperwork, and then they borrow against your home as collateral to take advantage of the equity that you've earned into your, uh, into your asset there. Then they stick you with the payments, maybe even the foreclosure notices or the late fees. Your mortgage lender can't protect you, neither can your identity theft protection, but for pennies a day, home title lock will who knows maybe your home's title has already been targeted or tinkered with to find out for free get a free title scan and report that's right i said free title scan and report at hometitlelock.com that's hometitlelock.com all right let's get to uh let's get to aaron's montage would you like to know how the daily beast define mariano rivera's far-right politics since almost nobody in our audience reads this, and nor should you, right? Would you like to, I was just kind of curious. So I checked it out. Would you like to know how they itemized his far-right politics? Would you, you kind of want to know, don't you want to know, Todd, a little bit, don't you want to know? I do know a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, uh, he visited Israel several times. Yeah, a couple of plane tickets. Yeah. 
So there wasn't more? I didn't know that part. I yeah, they didn't uncover like a mass yeah. donation yeah. to National Right to Life or the NRA. Yeah, I mean, he visited Israel a few times. And he's a devout Christian, so they just assumed, um, you know. Sounds legit. That's that's. You ever noticed that almost always these days, some some pro-Israel or anti-Semitic notion seems to tie in with you being far right on the left these days. Have you noticed that new? That's like the new trend. Have you yes, noticed this? Very much. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when they like looked at, you know, whether you were pro-life or something. I'm, everybody's always been, for those of you that are like newbies to politics, this is not new. All right. I mean, if you're to the right, if, if you're three inches to the right, Chris, there's a great headline at Red State, which I have been critical of recently for it's just clickbaity ridiculousness on many fronts as of late. But this clickbaity ridiculousness is right on the money. There's a headline at Red State today that uh, makes the case Kirsten Cinema, and the article's tongue in cheek when you read it. But the headline makes the case Kirsten Cinema is the most conservative senator Arizona's had in at least ten years. Nice. When you look at their previous John, when you look at uh, John McCain and uh, 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 Jeff uh, Flakeout, right? Right. And and the truth is that's probably yep. true. You know, that's probably true. I mean, I, I sit over the weekend looking at some of the stuff she's doing in immigration and what she's done at some other issues. I mean. She's she's maybe one of the ten best U.S. senators we have right now, and granted, given the current pool, many of you may take that as faint praise. But if we had to do a ranking, she'd be in there somewhere, wouldn't you? I mean, sight unseen, Todd. Sight unseen, Mitch McConnell, Kirsten Cinema. What do you who you got? That's <laughs> that, that's incredibly all the, that, mean. Steve. That, that's yeah. the only answer. That's good. That's a good answer. Don't <laughs> no, don't give it. me another answer. I, actually, I'm not. Don't no. Stay with the good answer. No, I was a, I, I was going to be mad at you for asking me that question, but I I need to be built up for what's coming in the next several months. Yeah. I thank you for prepping me. I mean, because some of you are like, well, hell, McConnell. But what about judicial nominations? McConnell helps. You know, she's she's voting for a lot of those judicial nominations. By the way, <laughs> she's like voting for most of them. Actually, like seriously. She's uh, voted for most of Trump's judicial nominations that McConnell, that's supposed to be, you know, McConnell is saving the courts is what we're being told. Right. I Kirsten Sinema's voted for most of those nominees. I don't want to ask this question. I wonder if she voted for the nominee that Tim Scott torpedoed. Ooh, that's a good question. Well, she would, she, that was that. Before, but that was, I think that before, before she the, got in the, the Senate. Vote. That's before she yeah. got in the Senate. Yeah. So remember, she was the nut job that talked about, you know, encouraged her friend to run off to join the Taliban or something on radio. Even even BuzzFeed was like, this woman is totally unelectable and pointing out how far left she is. And then because the Republicans nominated an absolutely worthless candidate named Martha McSally, uh, Cinema wins. Or Cinema wins. She's one of the best senators we have right now. I mean, I'm, tell me, give me, give me nine others that are better. I can't. You can't. She's the only Democrat that practices a modicum of rationality reasonability in the entire caucus and her voting record's pretty much what a john cornyn's has been most of his senate career it's what her voting record has been the first six months she's been in office all right so the lesson here is we need to elect more bisexuals right <laughs> not. i even i don't know how i even got on that tangent you guys remember where i was at where i went down mariano rivera oh yeah mariano rivera all right so the goal the game has always been whoever the current Republican de jure is that has made a career out of going on the air on major broadcast networks and blast Republicans for being conservative. He's, he's the line of demarcation. He's the Maginot line. 
for what it, or she, you know, it, David Gergen used to be that guy, like in the uh, 80s and 90s. John McCain then became that guy. Lindsey Graham was one of those people until the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, and, and so anybody to the right of that person is far right, far right. Everybody is. That's, that's their messaging. Everybody's far right. That's to the right of that person. The brown guy who spent his entire career in New York City, the upper center of very it, broken English. Yes, is, is now he's far right. Is now Hitler. Mariano Rivera, Rivera is Hitler because uh, he's a Christian and went to Israel a few times. That's the, no, the notice. The threshold keeps going down over and over and over again. I mean, they were calling you. Ra- McConnell said just last week their race card uh, was used up. He gave him like a 20-year limit on that card to just get away with calling you racist on everything. Everything's racist. Everything's far right. Okay. Better than a 30-year card. (laughs) (laughs) How do you say that in Spanish? (laughs) Muy bien. That's how. Muy bien is how. A, a, A new favorite for my favorite story of the year. And let's let's make sure we bookmark this for the end of the year show when we start counting down, all right? And we do the uh, end of the year days group. But right now, leader in the clubhouse for my favorite story of the year is 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 Bernie Sanders. Given yeah. especially given the amount of money he is worth, and the amount of money his campaigns have raised, paying his uh, his employees by their standards, Democrat standards, non-livable wages. That, that's, that's my favorite story of 2019. Right and his now. response, the guy who ignores all fundamental economic principles fights back by saying, you guys don't understand how labor negotiations are supposed to yes. work. Thank you. Wow. And you know what? Injected into my veins. In fact, I, I want to I die on a toilet or in a bathtub like Jim Morrison. <laughs> all right? And, and, when, and when the obit comes in, uh, just got strung out on, on Bernie Sanders paying, uh, you know, poor uh, spleep wages to his employees. And he, it just, he couldn't go on with the rest of his life. He was just so addicted to this story that he just got strung out on it and he died in a tub. I'm, I'm fine if this is, this is it. All right. Because the realities, the, there's just so much about market realities, the world that we prefer to live in. And, and let me throw another, can I throw some more kerosene on that? DMI? Of course I can. Bernie Sanders pays his employees less and treats them worse than those wicked, terrible, conservative Christians that run Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. How? How can he go on in the Democratic Party? How has he not lost his entire base at, being a, at running a worse operation for those poor victims in the in the? in the class of labor than how they're treated at Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A because we know how terrible those corporations are. So I, I can't get enough of this story. If that, this story is, is, is everything we know once we're at least a modicum of educated. Everything we know to be true about his philosophy yep. and about the philosophy that is gripping more and more of the left, particularly as you get in the generations younger than mine and get down into Aaron's age group, that is gripping the squad, that is gripping the modern Democratic Party, is, is, and it can all be debunked by 
one of its it, one of its chief evangelists doubles as its debunker. Because for everything Bernie Sanders proclaims and everything he says and everything you think he believes, in the end, he has to run a campaign on the basis of the way the world is and not the way he prefers it to be as well. Don't. This is the kind of story we can't clickbait enough, in my view. We can't recycle enough. The value in this story, it is a Babylon B headline, come to real life. I, the political capital available here with this story, I don't know what you guys think. I, I don't think this is one we can overplay. I know we talk about, or, 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 or yeah, I, I know we talk about overplaying stories for clickbait and things of that nature. I mean, I, I would be, if, if I ran a major conservative media company, if I ran Fox News, this would literally be the only story we'd be talking about until like North Korea launched a missile at us or something. Because it is, it is, it is the man bites dog, wag the dog. It, it, it is, it, it, it is the self-refuting prophecy of Marxism, Todd. Oh, I agree, but that's high praise considering you could pick just about anything. This particular montage is the campaign to reelect. Alone. You don't even need to know what happened tomorrow or what's what happened yesterday. There's so much crazy in this montage. Uh, and you just, I mean, you, you write alone are going on the fact that economic insanity. Yes. But it's all, it's all tied together. There is a piece from every part of the reality that progressivism is trying to overturn here in this montage. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the story out of Canada. So yeah. a guy walks in, a guy. I mean, what do you call a human being with a penis and a scrotum? What do we typically call them? A, a male. A male. A, a guy. Okay. So a guy walks in with a penis and a scrotum and, and tries to force a woman to wax his penis and scrotum. She refuses. She doesn't want to have to touch another man's, uh, a man's genitalia that she doesn't want to consent to touching. And because of this now, are you, are you feminist listening? No, you're not listening because this is actually what you want because you're not feminists. You're iconoclasts. You're pagan deconstructionists. Uh, is. This is exactly what you wanted. This is what you were wanted the entire time. All right. So um, this is your end. You're, we're in your end game now. You're not. You're not opposed to this. this. Is what you want? Oh, there's a few of you that actually bought into Betty for Dan, and they got like banned from Twitter and just lost a court case or something last week. Like, what was her name? Megan Murphy. All right. So you have a few true believers in the in in the Betty for Dan, uh, Marlo Thomas cause, but the uh, the Gloria Steinem cause. But the vast majority of you just hate Western civilization. That's all. And anything you can go on to that will tear down the normalcies of Western civilization, you're in favor of. And, and this is the last one in my, in my view. If, if, we, if we don't hold the line on this, then, there is, then, then mm. there is really no point in belonging to any kind of movement or industry as an alternative. There, there's really not. And, and if you want to know, hey, what would it look like if Steve like, didn't care if he got a contract renewed and lost every friend? When and if we abandon the line on this, because at this point, I think Ricky Gervais is doing a better job yep. of pushing back against it than most of conservative media is. When and if we, we abandon the line on this, if you ever wanted to know what is scorched earth napalm at all, and then dig up the bones and then, and then burn the bones while the camera's rolling hot look like on a Steve Dace program, when and if we cross that line? Fire up the 1812 Overture. Robert Duvall is right. You're going to love the smell of napalm 
in the morning and then this show on into the mid-afternoon. It'll be the last one we do, but it's going to be memorable and we're going out in a blaze of glory because I have no interest in associating with, being a part of. There's no point in getting called all the same names to defend none of the actual values, right? And I don't think I'm asking for much. I mean, we've already, you know, given up this, the, the ghost on almost every other value I originally got into this business to defend. This is the last one left. I mean, if we're not going to defend the basic essence of, of what it means to be human, then I, I then there's no point to, cons we're not into conserving anything other than a paycheck. So I'm out. Totally out. I'm half, half expecting Ricky Gervais to be cured of his atheism because of this storyline, though. Yes. Yeah, and, and so a guy walks into this salon and, and demands that a woman um, remove the hair. For those of you that are older that don't know what some of these phrases mean, all right, um, that's what this is referring to, all right? Uh, he wants the, the hair and those things removed from his genitalia. He wants this woman to put wax on his, on his penis and scrotum to take the hair away, to make it smoother. And some of you may ask, why do they want to make it smoother? That's a separate health class for another time. Maybe we'll put that in the overtime today. Or maybe not. That's your okay. question. Maybe <laughs> that'll be my last show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this woman says, I don't want to do this. I don't want any part of this. Can and so for that, now, he's not, this is almost a form of virtual sexual assault in my book. Yeah. Demanding yes. a woman handle your your your, your sexual almost, organs. Almost. Okay. I mean, I, 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 if, if you want to go all the way with it, then I'm okay with that too. Are we saying this is this is a form? I'm, I'm fine. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I'm totally fine. You talk is, me into it. He's attempting right. to leverage the full force of I, government I was trying, to make some. I, I was trying shit. to give some yeah. accommodation to his mental illness because that's what I believe this all is. I believe it's mental illness. Right? I was trying to give some accommodation to it, but 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 if we're going to the point now that I get to use my mental illness to force you to perform on my genitalia, then we're probably beyond. Accommodating your mental illness yes. at that point—that's the divining line. Fine, okay. So he he orders he he thinks he gets to demand a form of I get to I get to sexually assault you, you get to I get to force you to manhandle my junk. And the enlightened progressive government of Canada doesn't side with a woman who doesn't want to have to handle another man's rhubarb. They they side with the dude. And if that's it, that's another story. Again, if I ran a Fox News, if I ran a major conservative news platform, like even this one, if I ran these platforms, the only two stories you would hear about, I'd get on a call with all my talent, come up with your own angle. Chad Prather, you got the comedy. Dace, you got the worldview. Beck, bust out the chalkboard. Levin, you're going into Supreme Court precedent that got us here. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not going to be Perry White in the newsroom at the Daily Planet. All right. Everybody's covering the appearance of, of this last son of Krypton just from a sports, whatever their department angle, they're all covering this story. This is all we talk about. Because this is th these two stories. Bernie Sanders underpaying his staff because he has to be confronted with the realities of the market. At least that's his excuse anyway. Um, and in a guy demanding a woman in Canada man to handle his private parts his penis and scrotum. If, if we can't win those two arguments, then, then there's really no point in, in turning this mic on tomorrow. There's no point in can I, turning on your camera tomorrow. Can I there's no you? point in doing this to, <laughs> because this is the most basic fundamental, this is an unlosable argument. You just have to be willing to, to wield it. Go ahead and depress you me. Want, 
the fact that we are even having this conversation means that we're at least already on the road to have lost I, it. I thought you were going to tell me David French has I a piece in Nash think... Review saying that, you know, uh, maybe this woman should have resigned her job or something rather than forced a confrontation over this. You, I thought that's what you were going to tell me. You guys are overblowing this. This is nothing that can't be solved by a room full of Marianne Williamson supporters asking white people <laughs> to touch black people. It's, it's, it's What about a simpler. Joe Biden kiss? Is this something a Joe <laughs> Biden kiss could fix, do you think, or not? As long as it's on the lips. <laughs> I know. That is... I know. It wasn't even on the cheek. It was on the... He... <laughs> oh, man. I was... Uh, I couldn't wait for this montage. Wow. Wow. You teased it. I mean, you said... When I see you tweet yesterday that uh, given the weekend we have just gone through that the level of crazy in Aaron's montage today... The, the bad news is, Aaron... Um, there's a whole nother week. Yeah. Well, this is going to get shadow banned. You know, this I'm going to warn you right now. Do not, do not get overly excited about the anticipated views you're going to get on your, on Facebook when we post this. That's true. Because this one is so, so damaging and it is so effective. Facebook's going to, algorithm's going to have to downplay this. So fewer people get a chance to take a look at how crazy Mm. this all is. We tried. We We did try. At least you get to see it here. If you're a subscriber to blaze TV, our good friend, Bob Vanderplatz will join us next year. Stay tuned. One of the products that we get a chance to promote here on this show that uh, I'm the most excited about is is called Relief Factor. And, you know, when I used to just come on the blaze as a guest of uh, the shows at the time, and I'd hear them talking about this product and raving about it, and I was like, eh, really? Is that good? I'm, you know, as a total depravity guy, I'm kind of a built-in skeptic. The, the more positive uh, the promotion gets, the more I tend to, you know, handicap it. Maybe it's we're compensating for something else here. Then I gave it a shot. And as Keith Jackson used to say, whoa, Nelly. I mean, this thing has, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to live the rest of my life without it. Um, the, the way that this has, the, the, the level of soreness when I get up in the morning, how quickly I recover post-workout, uh, how harder I'm able to go. Uh, in my workouts now. This thing has made a huge benefit. Now, let me let me make sure I don't oversell it, all right? Because we're not talking about injury healing here. I mean, this, is, these aren't, this isn't a, you know, a fake Benny Hinn prayer cloth. So if you have an injury, go to a doctor, uh, get treatment, medicine, maybe the surgery, rehab that you need. What we're talking about here is inflammation, particularly for those of us that get older, inflammation tends to get worse. And what I love about Relief Factor, maybe the two things to know about it the most is it's uh, 100% drug-free, even though it was solely created by physicians. So that tells you that these are doctors who can prescribe drugs legally, but they just got tired of treating symptoms all the time. They they wanted to unleash the body's God-given natural healing ability to push back against inflammation. And that's where Relief Factor comes in with four key natural ingredients that will help you do exactly that. I am an absolute believer. All right. So if you want to take a shot at this, they'll give you the starter pack for a dollar a day just to get you started for three weeks to see if you start seeing some of those positive changes. For a dollar a day, what do you have to lose? Except maybe finally, hopefully the pain. Just go to relieffactor.com to learn more or get the starter kit at relieffactor.com. All right. Our good friend, Bob Vanderplatz is here with us now from the Family Leader. Good to see you, Bob. How are you? I'm doing really well. Good to be here. So 
there's one topic left over from our our um, montage with Aaron that I want to spend a couple of minutes addressing, and it's it, it actually fits up pretty well with what you do at your organization, the Family Leader. So, Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson. There's a clip that came out over the weekend of her at a church service. Uh, and she's asking all the white people to stand up and pray to ask for forgiveness and to apologize to all the black people in the room. All right. And I, other than laughing at it, I, I wouldn't bring it up in this conversation, except there's some, some stalwarts within American evangelicalism right now that are not even six degrees of separation away from going this far. I mean, there are major figures in American evangelicalism I mean, we had one key uh, evangelist who changed his name back to his like African birth name. Okay, um, th- this is a this is a new thing that's emerging within American evangelicalism, and a lot of it is uh, essentially the theological manifestation of Never Trump. Like of all the conversations we used to have about losing, uh, how we are losing a lot of our millennials based off the way we behaved in the last election. Right? You and mm-hmm. I even had those, sure, conversations had those conversations on this show all throughout that election campaign. Yeah. Well, there's a group of of evangelical leaders that are, are kind of taking that now to its most logic to its most illogical conclusion, which is we now have to in order if we're losing um, some of our uh, uh, millennials in the next generation because of some of our political duplicity and compromises. That must mean in order to show we, we're not politically compromised, we have to become like racially compromised, and we got to adopt like the white liberal guilt angle. I want to make this point very clear, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree. This isn't biblical on any level. To associate guilt or to, or to project guilt upon people as a mass group of people goes against the will of God. You are created as an individual in God's economy. You are, I'm not responsible. I don't have to apologize to my children for the abuse that Dave Dace abused me with. I do have to apologize if I use that to then abuse them. Because who's the abuser? Me. Okay, that, that, that's a me problem. You are not, there, there's no collective sinning. There's not a group sin. You are an individual in God's economy. You will be held accountable as an individual. Um, I, you know what, if you want reparations, fine. Everybody, therefore, who owned slaves should pay refer, repar, reparations. Agreed? Sure. I'm totally, you okay with that, Todd? If you own slaves, you should pay reparations. You okay with that? Sure. Guess how many people we're going to find? Zero. Okay? Because all those people are dead. All right? Where they were then judged by their creator far harshly than a white paper at Harvard uh, for treating, for imposing man's inhumanity to man. All right? So this idea of collectivized absolution, not biblical. There's nowhere you get absolution except from your maker, number one. The And then the idea that you are of collective guilt doesn't exist. Right? You're not... you're. It, my ancestors came here at the turn of the 20th century. They were called Dagos, Wops, and Garlic Eaters. They didn't own any slaves because they were the first inhabitants of the actual ghettos back in those days. All right? I don't owe anybody an apology for a damn thing, except for the stuff I actually did wrong. If I wasn't a part of something, just because somebody looked like... You know what we call it when we assume that because you look a certain way uh, based on how people that look that way have behaved in the past, that we cast aspersions and immediate guilt upon you. You know what we call that? Racial profiling. Yeah, we call that racial profiling. It's called racism. So um, I'd only, I'm only bringing this up because what Marianne Williamson is doing, yes, she's a leftist pagan nut job, but there's a whole new movement within the Christian church of, of only, she's only a few degrees beyond 
what several of these folks are t trying to tap into. It's not biblical. None of it is. It's no more biblical than than um, a if you're changing theology to justify voting for Donald Trump, you're in sin. And if you are changing theology to justify why you didn't, so are you. All right. None of this is Christianity. Christianity is about you and an individual relationship with your maker who desired that relationship so much, he put himself into human form to individually relate with you. And then after you acknowledge this and convert, he comes to individually live in you, his spirit in you, so that you can individually communicate with him. There is no, that's why we put such a high value on individual liberty in the American system, because God judges you individually. God rewards you individually, uh, saves you individually, sanctifies you individually. And therefore, if that's the way God relates to human beings, the people who founded the country thought it was a pretty good idea. Maybe that's the way government ought to relate to the people as well. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that because there are more and more Christian leaders with air quotes that are starting to adopt things that aren't too far off from the nuttiness that we saw with Marianne Williamson in that video. You know, Steve, I'm all in favor for racial reconciliation. Uh, the problem I see in that clip with the Marianne Williamson clip, it's not real. It's a show. Matter of fact, what you're talking about repentance is that means you actually did something wrong, and now you want to seek repentance to get forgiveness so that there can be actual healing. Somebody that we talk about in our movement a lot is called William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, was he white or was he black? He was white. Mm -hmm. And that guy fought hard all the way to his deathbed to free the slaves. My guess is he should be celebrated, but he's a, he's a white person that should be celebrated, right? So William Wilberforce, instead of going to, to, uh, to the community that Marianne Williamson wants to say, and say, you know, I need forgiveness as well. I think it's, you want forgiveness when something that you did actually happened, and it's real. We just had Senator, Senator Scott and Senator Langford at our leadership summit. And they talked about racial reconciliation. And one of the things they brought up, matter of fact, Senator Lankford brought up, racial reconciliation isn't inviting a black church to your white church and having a potluck after one Sunday uh, service and saying, there, we're, we're reconciled. He goes, that's not real. I mean, we're not saying that's wrong, but it's not real. It's just more of a show. They were talking about reaching out and inviting the person of an opposite race to your house, getting to know them, breaking bread, having dinner. No, he said, that's when real relationships begin. And we would agree with that. So what you're saying with Marianne Williamson, the problem with that is it's not real. It's not authentic. What Senator Langford and Senator Scott were saying, by having a show isn't real. It's not authentic. Let's do something that's real, it's authentic, and that would really lead to racial reconciliation. That would be a conversation I'd be intrigued to have. Yeah, but... You know, where do you get real, where where has reconciliation ever existed on this planet without God? I, I don't believe it has. It, 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 it hasn't, and it can't, and it won't, because we're sinners. Sure. So, you know where you get reconciliation? When the, the gospel will give you the reconciliation. Because um, every one of you uh, need Jesus, whether you're... Uh, ancestors were slaves or slaveholders or immigrants or uh, were created in a Petri dish 10 minutes ago, okay? This is all, it, the reconciliation comes from the recognition that we are all east of Eden. Therefore, by the grace of God, go I.
The idea that there's a a specific class of people, none of whom are even alive anymore, by the way, that there's a specific class of people that need to have uh, some aspect uh, of, of, of an extra penalty or an extra repentance that more, more is demanded of you to repent than what God demands of you. That you have to repent to society. Who's God? Who's your judge? Who's really in charge here? Because ultimately, you repent to who you think is God. Really. That, that's really, really what it comes down to, ultimately. So, so let, me, let me broaden the conversation. Because Lincoln, Lincoln was infamous for calling this country to national repentance. Mm-hmm saying, you know, we need to repent in front of a holy God that we did this, that we allowed this to happen. Uh, Many of us would advocate that we need a national repentance today on the whole issue of abortion. You know, that you know what? We need to repent. But the first step in that is what you're saying. You need to to recognize there's a God. Yeah, who are you repenting to? If we're just going to say, I'm sorry, without no recognition, that's not real. That's not authentic either. You're not responsible for things that happened that you never did. You're not responsible for things that occurred. I, it's funny. I hear people say, well, I wouldn't want to worship a God who, like, would let guilty people go to hell. And th- those exact same people are now saying, well, you know, um, I, I, I want to be held accountable and guilty for things I never actually did. Does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense It doesn't make any sense at all. And Lincoln is talking in a civic sense. Sure. Yes, he's talking about repenting to God, okay? But But, 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 but he he invoked the name of God. Yeah, but does that national repentance mean that you're free of your sins as an individual? Can you you show up at that national repentance and walk out of there and say— you know what? I I I I'm good to go. I I nationally repented, so we're all good here, yeah. Is, right? Can you do that? Sure. No, you can't do that. That's not the way it works. That you, you, when you show up at, 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 at the judgment seat, you're not going to get it. You're not you're, you, when you, when they separate the sheep and the goats. You don't get on a team sheet by well, you know, there was that time we nationally repented once. That's not no, the way you it don't, works. No, you don't. You don't do that. Okay, you're accountable for your sins as an individual. If you as a culture have an interest in saying we are allowing this evil to come onto our watch and, and, and ask collectively for you not to ask for, to God to judge people the judgment that they actually deserve for this, okay? But again, you're doing this. You are doing this. You're doing it as an individual. You're communicating yeah. to God. So, so There's what? nobody standing between you and God. It's not like, you know what? 10,000 people gathered here. In unison. So God's like, I lo- I, now I'm listening, and I wasn't listening before. So you can ask for all the national repentance you want, and still when you go home, you're still on the slave. You're still guilty. Yes. Matter of fact, absolutely. you can ask for all the national repentance you want, but you go home, you still abort the baby. You're still guilty. Yes. And so national repentance, what I'm getting at is with Marianne Williamson in that church, and the whole idea about repentance. If you really want repentance, it's got to be real. And part of being real is that you're not going back, but you also have to recognize there's a holy God. I know what I did was wrong. I'm willing to repent from it. And I'm not going back there. I'm not doing it again. The fact is we're being way more into show today, whether it be in the public square or now whether it be in the church arena, than is for what you're talking about. The heart of rec- or the heart of the Christian faith is reconciliation. God loved you, Todd, me, Aaron, every one of us so much that he sent his one and only son to do what? To reconcile us to himself. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's called that's called on for that reconciliation, you need to believe. So here's what happens if we keep going down this road. You know, 
the New York Times has a story over the weekend. I wrote about it for the Blaze. Fifty. Uh, they commemorated the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing by pointing out that it was really a victory for the heteronormative patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So now the lunar landing is sexist. All right. When we go down this, when we go down the road of we remove individual relationship and accountability, mercy, grace, salvation between you and your creator. When we remove that, then they weren't there weren't there weren't articles that that commemorated the twentieth anniversary. Uh, they weren't they didn't have an article in the New York Times on the twentieth anniversary of the lunar landing in nineteen eighty nine. What a sexist escapade this was! All right, they didn't just arrive here. You will con- once you remove the cornerstone, and you're rudderless. All right, you'll continue to drift. You'll continue to abandon your foundations. You'll continue to abandon your first principles. One of the most, maybe the most fascinating thing that was said on our show last week is the former chief managing officer of Chick Fil A was on here, and he started talking about how the company almost went bankrupt the first couple of years that he was there. He started there in '81. He was 34 years. He was their CMO. And the company almost went for, went bankrupt. And he and I asked him, well, what you know, what, what was your like marketing plan? How'd you turn this thing around? He said the first thing we did is Mr. Truett got or Truett Kathy, the founder, got everybody together in the board and all all of the all of the executive officers, and we got together and we sat down and asked, you know, we got back to first principles. What is it? Who are we? What's our identity? We didn't before we talked about any plans, before we brought in any actuaries, any marketers, we got back to our first principles. Because if we didn't get back to those, there wasn't going to be any kind of financial or economic plan that was going to save us. We had to we had to reestablish our fundamentals as a corporation. Why are we doing the what we're doing the way we're doing it? Right? And that's where we're that's what's happening now, is because the left has, is opposed to the gospel, they're now drifting off into loony land. And because a lot of people are now either uh, afraid or defensive of the gospel or they're, they're, they're concerned that people have abused it or bastardized it to get on Fox or promote some Republican candidate they don't like, now they're kind of feeling like, you know what, I got to kind of you know do my own little spin on the gospel to make it palatable for today's day and age, which just plays right into the, to the enemy's hands. Either way, what is being left on the side of the road yeah. is the gospel. When you talk about first principles in Chick-fil-A, and not to put Chick-fil-A on this type of footing, although I love Chick-fil-A, the same thing happened with the writing of the Constitution. That's when Ben Franklin said, listen, guys, we need to get back to first principles. And the whole idea was what? It was about prayer and it was about fasting and asking for God to intervene in the writing of that document. And so I think you're right. Anytime we, we decide we're going to attach our identity to something else than the name of Jesus, this is what's going to happen. Hebrews 2 verse 1, what does it say? Be careful that you do not drift from what you yeah. have heard, what you learned. Why? Matter of fact, Steve, when we went and we talked about removing three judges in the state of Iowa, all regarding the institution of marriage, debating the institution of marriage, you you erase, you erode those parameters, and now you are foundationless. And pretty soon, you won't even know what restroom to use. Because what it is, we have no more parameters in our You'll society. You'll put your kid on Good Morning America at Christmas time as the, as the fabulous yeah. Desmond child drag queen. So instead of accelerating the drift and saying, let's just go rudderless, let's go foundationless, let's call people back to what real reconciliation is. And it's yes. what you're trying to ask yes. to say. There's a holy God who loved you and me so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That's where you can have real reconciliation. That's the, only, that's the only place. That's the only place you have. Every, everywhere else is leverage. You, it, 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 that without recognition of God, you don't have reconciliation. You have leverage, meaning I have the advantage on you, yep. so you have all the incentive to now negotiate to get out of a conflict with me. Everything is everything in this world east of Eden is leverage, 
everything is leverage. That's why we put such a high preeminence on contract law in our form of government, because we recognize everything minus God's direct intervention or our recognition of God's direct intervention is not is not uh, reconciliation. It's leverage. And it's not just leverage. It's also, that's where I get my identity. That's where I get my community. That, so we start going And then into, I start leveraging that yeah. to, to leverage And we you. start going into stuff that never was meant to be. And that's so why now I women think, have to wax yeah, my penis yeah, and scrotum yeah, in a Canadian yeah. uh, salon, which was the story that happened over the weekend. So Marianne Williamson. As long well, as I well, claim I'm a transgendered, yeah. a woman has to, against her will, wax my male private yeah. parts. That's leverage. Yeah. It, it, well, it is leverage. But I do think what is, and I, th- and I applaud you for doing it with this show, is taking some that Marianne Williamson did and saying, okay, let's get to real repentance. Let's get to real reconciliation. So instead of having a, a show of something like this, of people who did absolutely nothing wrong to say, now I repent of this, what is true repentance? What's real reconciliation? I think it's a good thing to call our country too. Thank you for joining us today. Good God stuff, bless man. You, man. We'll come back. Hour two, you're coming your way here next live and on demand on The Blaze. Todd and Aaron, I want to let you guys chime in on the conversation that Bob and I just had. And then we'll continue our retrospective look quarter century later at Rush Limbaugh's The Way Things Ought to Be. Stay tuned. More in a moment. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze, radio, TV, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. By the way, if you are listening today via podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, only if you like us, of course. If you don't, don't lie. But if you do, maybe embellish all the more. We would appreciate you because the more of you that do that, the more people like you that we end up finding, and then the more likely we are. Uh, to uh, to get to continue to do this phony baloney job. So thank you to the thousands of you, thousands of you that have already left us one of those five-star reviews. 888-933-93 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you are wondering why you're not making more progress with your health, uh, particularly the battle against your bulge, it could be that, uh, that you just need a little boost in uh, the signal area. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a signal that goes from your belly to your brain. It's got a long name, but its abbreviation is OEA. And all it does is signal to the brain, hey, we're full down here. Stop eating. And look at look at it as kind of your natural nature, God-given stoplight. It, it's maybe one of the reasons why, you know, you, your metabolism worked better when you were younger. Now, for whatever reason, uh, that signal for too many of us just isn't as strong as it needs to be. Maybe we just ran it so many times it just gave up. <laughs> it could also be uh, age or, or something else. That's where Riduzone comes in. All it wants to do is put that to OEA right back in your body. That's all that it is, is just that OEA. Not loaded with the chemicals, caffeine, not any kind of a stimulant. It's just OEA. And now you can give it a shot right now if you'd like. Using my name as a promo code, Steve, when you go to the website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. If you use my name as a promo code, they'll give you a special offer at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. So, gentlemen, the conversation we had with, uh, with, with Bob Vanderplotz and the, the point I was make, trying to make, that as crazy as what Marianne Williamson was doing in the video in Aaron's montage, it's really not that far off from what several prominent leaders currently right now in American evangelicalism are preaching with their view of racial reconciliation um, and, and why this, you're just, you're, you're not, you're, I, I don't, I can't believe I have to teach this theological point, but 
you're not guilty of any sins you didn't commit. Yet somehow, that seems to be radical. And the notion that if you look a certain way, then we automatically assume you are guilty of something you may have never done is in and of itself the very essence or application of the very racism those who are adhering to this claim to be pushing back against. But what are your thoughts? Todd, I'll start with you. Well, if you generalize this a bit, this this is exactly the frustration with a lot of people post-Vatican II and what became uh, of the Catholic Church in terms of how you come to think like this is because of how you orient yourself towards God and other. It, when it's working appropriately, Steve used the, the, the cross. Uh, vertical beam, God to man, mm -hmm. horizontal beam, man to man, and how that horizontal beam slides up or down and makes that cross look like something other than a cross uh, makes you wonder if something um, has been skewed over time. Pre-Vatican II, uh, even non-Catholics think, if, if I had to ask you think pre-Vatican II, Steve, you'd probably say, you know, Latin. Uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, but another fundamental is that the Mass was said with the priest with his back to the people. All, including the priest, were facing the tabernacle where the real presence is, if you believe, as a Catholic. So all were fundamentally oriented first towards God, and that, getting that right, is then how you orientate people to people. And so, not just in this uh, example, but in all others, a lot of people believe that post-Vatican II, because whether intentional or not, uh, the balance has been thrown out of whack. So you start thinking that Catholicism, various aspects of Catholicism writ large, Steve, you pointed out, liberation theology is in many ways a perfect right. example right. of Marianne Williamson yep. and what you saw right there. Yep. People, for those of you that want to, liberation theology is the, the fancy theological term for the theological version of the social justice Correct. stuff you see in politics today. That's really what it means. Yeah, and there, there's a couple of things here I want to say about this, both of which are things that I brought up before on, on this or similar subjects. One way, if you're wondering whether your pastor or a favorite teacher of yours is going down the path of what we saw Marianne Williamson do in this clip, always maybe keep a running tally in your mind about whether their theology emphasizes or elevates asking for forgiveness over forgiving others as it relates to how we uh, relate to our fellow man. Mm -hmm. Because if your theology elevates or emphasizes beyond 50-50, uh, beyond I would say, asking for forgiveness over forgiving, um, they don't have a right theology. They don't know. You, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Because when we say reconciliation, re, we're doing something over again. Conciliation, meaning we're uh, making peace again. What is required for that to happen? Two parties, which means this is a two-way street. Exactly. So if there is not going to be a forgiveness from the other end, if that's not being preached as well, then that's the, the, the full counsel of what forgiveness actually means is not being taught. So that's one thing. You know, if you, if you wonder if your teacher or your favorite pastor or what have you 
is going down along this path, look at what they preach about when it comes to forgiveness. Is it more about asking for forgiveness or is it more about forgiving or is it a balance of the two? Secondly, you want to know what racial reconciliation looks like. That's an like. excellent point, man. I really hope the audience understood yep. the two-way street you defined yep. there. So it is a, it's a two-way street because we're talking about relationships here. Now, that's that's if you've actually sinned against it. I want to underscore the point that you just made as well. That's a, if you've actually sinned against somebody or have been sinned against. There's a two-way street there to reconciliation. The second thing is if you want to really know what racial reconciliation looks like, and I will keep bringing this up until I cannot know more, Great use of the English language there, Aaron. Look <laughs> at what happened just a few years ago. I believe it was in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, Dylan Roof, mm-hmm. the, the the shooter, who went into a black a predominantly black church, shot up the church at a prayer meeting, and then a few days later, as he was being arraigned, family members of the people he shot looked this just hateful young man in the face and forgave him. That's what racial reconciliation, at least part of it, looks like. I don't know if Dylan Roof has asked for forgiveness from God or from those people as well. I can't remember. But if you want to look what true putting your neck out there reconciliation looks like, that's what it looked like. And by the way, you know when they did that? At his sentencing hearing. That occurred, if I remember right, that occurred at his sentencing hearing. You know how they were there to testify at his sentencing to the traumatic impact his evil had caused and had 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 impacted upon them. So they weren't they weren't asking for him to be um, not held accountable for his vile and heinous actions. You know, where do we see that emulated Two thieves? Flank or two criminals, we should say, flank Jesus at the cross, also being crucified. And one of them says, We're guilty here. But but Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, Hey, you'll be with me today in paradise, meaning I, I I'll forgive you of your sins. He doesn't, you know, perform some act that allows him to come down from his cross, though, either. You ever notice that? We leave that part out. It's weird why we leave that part of it out. Like Dude was a criminal. He knew the law. He violated it. You know, he was, he's not a victim of any kind. He's, 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 he even admits, I'm facing the due punishment for my actions. Even, by the way, do you think that might be how Jesus knew that his, his, his reaching out for forgiveness was sincere? Was the, real, was the acknowledgement that, that he was an evildoer? Because if you're, if you're not one, then what do you need forgiveness for? If, if, you're, if you're perfectly good, naturally good, or if what you did wasn't so bad, why do you need forgiveness? Just keep on keeping on. You don't need forgiveness. You don't, shouldn't, I mean, what's the point in asking for, unless you're putting on a show, there's no point in asking for forgiveness unless you are recognizing how terrible your actions were, the offense that you committed. An admission of guilt. Yes. Yeah, it's me. I'm getting what's coming to me. But, but Lord, after I'm done paying this earthly penalty, I ask that you do not hold this eternally against me and welcome me into your kingdom. Because you doing so would be a far worse fate than even dying of asphyxiation up here on this tree. 
That's what repentance looks like. Not, hey, I've, you know, I'm white and I went on uh, uh, Ancestry.com and I had a, an un- a great, great, great uncle in uh, Mississippi named Beauregard. And I think he owned a plantation and I feel real bad about that. You ever noticed all the people that talk about this? I'm going to use the same argument that I've, I've used with, with the whole uh, what happened to the Native Americans. Now, I think the Native Americans were created in God's image too, despite the fact they many of them practiced a barbaric form of religion. But God would forgive them too, just like he forgave me and anybody else. That's a separate conversation. The people that keep bringing up what happened to the Native Americans, here's how you can tell they, they really don't mean this. They, they really don't want to help their plight. Tell them, you know what, if you think that what happened to them was so bad and calls into question the entire integrity of this thing we call the United States of America, then give up all the trappings of Western civilization and American exceptionalism. And go join the reservation. Show me you're committed to this. I mean, if... Why should I believe your cause if you're not even committed to it? So, I mean, if you, if, you believe, if you believe that you're living a lie as an American, give up your spot at the university to a Native American. Give up your job to one. Disavow all the trappings of, Amer- of, of American capitalism that you enjoy. And join the reservation. Similarly, if you really believe because you're white, that means you've been given some white privilege. I'm I'm trying to figure out, when did I get my white privilege, do you think? When I was born to a 15-year-old mom who lived with her twice-divorced single mom in the white trash ghetto. Did I get my white privilege then, I wonder? I didn't come in the uh, government cheese. Yeah, when we were on government cheese. Did I get my white privilege when I had to, you know... uh, Make sure I wait in the back of the line at school, for school lunch because my my lunch was 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 less than the other kids and I because I was on a reduced lunch program and I didn't want to get mocked. Was it then? Was it the belt buckle I took to the face from Dave Dace or one time when he got mad at me and he uh, spit his beer in my face? Was that was that when I got my white privilege? Do you think? Do you think it was then? Could be. Could be. Could be. How about when they kicked me out of school because I spent an entire semester playing through every game of the. 1992 NFL regular season on Super Tech Mobile and didn't attend a class. It was funny. You know, no one took me aside and said, oh, wait, you're white? You don't have to go to class. You're privileged. No, they kicked my fat ass right out of that school for not going to any classes, despite, my, despite the fact it was not only fat, but very, very white. I, I didn't get any white privilege then. Huh. I'm trying to think of when I've, when have I received this white privilege? Um, if, but if you really believe you have received some some, some odd privilege, uh, my first advice to you would be to give up your privileges. I mean, if you're some white person running for president and you think you're there's white privilege, get out of the race. Are there's some black people running, aren't there? Are there some some non-white people running this year? Several, yes. Yeah, then get the hell out. Give them more of the spotlight, more of the room. You know, we always hear talk about there's not enough minority coaches. Okay, I get that. I. I doesn't seem to me to make sense when so many of the players are black and so few of the coaches are. But then you got to tell me which white coaches need to be fired then. 
you know, because we're not like making up new teams. So if you're going to give them a job, you're taking somebody else away. By the way, how many of the writers, analysts, and reporters that are white that write those things? Some There's got to be some qualified black folks that could do your job there as a columnist for ESPN.com or The Athletic, don't you think? Absolutely. So, you know, give that away. I mean, show me you really, show us you really believe in this privilege thing. Show us. And if you're one of these Christian leaders, kvetching about this on Twitter, there's all kinds of talented non-white minority folks who would love to have the audiences that you have. Get out. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I know. I've had enough of the spotlight. I'm white, and it's time for the culture to hear about Jesus from somebody who doesn't homogenize. Where, where, where's your level of commitment? Is it, is it wrong for me to ask this? Not at all. I don't think it is. Isn't this what's asked of us all the time? And that's what we hear. Well, yeah, you know, I don't. I don't think a Christian would do that. I don't think a Christian would talk like that or act like that. That's a question of a level of commitment on some level, right? Sure. Well, okay. If we're going to play by that standard, where's yours? No more Wi-Fi. Womp them instead. It's only fair, right? Mm-hmm. Give up your news. Get, you know, most of these newsrooms are lily white. Get the hell out. Let them hire some qualified minorities to have your job, right? I think it's only fair. Yeah, why aren't you lining up to wax scrotum somewhere? No doubt. Show it. In fact, that's the new line to determine your commitment. From now on, let it be so. Thank you, Todd. You're welcome. Um, as, as Bishop Erzin has decreed, so say we all. From now on on this show, unless you are willing on camera, because without evidence, we, we just won't take your word for it. Unless you are willing to supply physical material evidence that you are willing to wax some mentally disturbed chicks, dudes, penis and scrotum, we, we just, we're really just not going to take it seriously on any of this. I mean, I think, I think it's only fair. Right? Yeah, I think we've nailed it. Yeah. Don't, are you okay with that standard, Aaron? Is it I seconded? Am, All I in favor? Seconded. Okay. Seconded. So for now on, unless, unless you supply evidence, hey, I'm, I'm willing to wax some chick's uh, penis and uh, scrot. Without that, then we're just, we're not, I just don't think we're going to take it seriously from that point on. Until you, I think that should be the, the base demonstration of your level of commitment to the cause of yeah. social justice. I think, as they say in VeggieTales, good has been done here. <laughs> <laughs> they got to do a VeggieTales about all this. <laughs> oh, no, they don't. Uh, no. Can you imagine? I can imagine a lot, but not that. What have you to say, Junior Asparagus? What's a Bob? What's a tomato? What's a Larry? I don't want to assume the gender of this cucumber. Hey, Real Estate Agents I Trust was started because there is just so much frustration nowadays in buying and selling a home. No urgency, no return phone calls, no marketing plan except, hey, let's have another open house. That's why you want to find a real estate agent that you can trust, one that checks all three of these boxes. All right, number one, actually has a track record of being successful in real estate. You might think, uh, duh, yeah, but don't take that for granted, all right? Uh, number two, uh, somebody who looks at all the new technologies and algorithms and all the formulas out there, but does their homework on the outliers too, all right? You've, you've always got to be willing to test your, or, your algorithm and your data up against 
outliers. I say this is a guy that uses a lot in his professional work as well. Uh, and then number three, uh, someone that you've got a relationship and a rapport with. This is a very relationally driven process between you and your agent. Sometimes they're going to call you at the last minute, say, hey, I got a live one. They want to come see your home in 30 minutes. Can you have it ready? And it's going to be a pain in the rear end already to, you know, to get the kids out and everything else. Um, but it's going to seem a lot better if it's from somebody that you trust and you get along with. All right. So if you want an agent that checks all three of those boxes, then right now you want to go to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, gentlemen, let's continue our book study, Rush Limbaugh's The Way Things Ought to Be, about a quarter century later. We've been going through this chapter by chapter. And this week, the chapter is In Defense of the 80s. Before I turn it over to you guys, what, what struck me the most about this chapter is this, this seems like the proto version of the debate that we are having today about universal basic income, for example, socialism, Marxism. Um, can we just artificially inseminate wages? And this, the debate that, that and I think that a key point that Rush makes here is the 80s were, so we come out of the 60s and, and uh, LBJ launches the Great Society, uh, the modern welfare state, basically. Nixon runs into some economic trouble in his second term. And he tries to fix these with a lot of progressive notions. There were uh, uh, there was price uh, fixing, uh, things of that nature. You know, uh, essentially a lot of the stuff that you have to deal with in, when you live in a place like New York City or San Francisco. This, Nixon tried a lot of this in his second term to push back against uh, an economic downturn because he's already facing an existential battle over Watergate. Ford takes over has a has a similarly sluggish economy that he has to run on. Uh, Carter takes over and and things deteriorate to the point now uh, we started seeing the, some of the gas lines and stuff in the mid 70s. But now we've got a flat out fuel shortage and most Americans learned what inflation was. Uh, things became so poor, we had to create a new metric. It was called the misery index. This was literally for you youngins. This was literally created as a metric to 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 raise the uh, to rate the economy uh, in, in the late 1970s. And so a lot of the early leftist realizations, a lot of those building blocks and foundations were put into place in the years prior to Reagan's arrival. Reagan arrives and essentially says, screw that noise. We're going to completely do a 180 in our, in our domestic economic policy here. And it was given a fancy term at the time, supply-side economics. It's, it's, there's more to it than that, but that's kind of the... the, the, the the term, de jour. So we'll go with that. And so this was the first time that there was a full frontal assault on the prevailing progressive economic theories that came out of the counterculture in the 1960s. And so there was an, uh, there's an immediate rush, as, as Rush points out, for Democrats running for office in the years after this to... Uh, try to redefine and recharacterize what went on in that era. A lot of that is what we're seeing now. If, if we, couldn't we take this chapter, guys, and just take out all the references to Reagan, all the references to the 80s and supply side, update it with terminology like universal basic income, socialism, 
um, single payer. And if, if we just updated some of those terms, wouldn't this be the exact same argument on many fronts that we're having right now? Even the way Rush counters this argument by pointing out, you know, these leftists, they like making their money too. And he's pointing out how much money they make, how much um, with the salaries they pay in their, in their progressive nonprofits. Isn't that similar to the conversation we just had a, an hour ago about sure. Bernie Sanders, who's a multimillionaire with his three homes, but yet he can't afford to pay his employees more than, uh, or, or what they would get paid if they worked at Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, those dastardly Christian-run corporations, for example. I, I found this chapter to be fascinating because it was, it, it's literally the prologue or the setup for a lot of the debates we're having right now. It, it, it indeed is. Uh, but there's another piece of that that I found interesting. And you'll recall last week, uh, I mentioned when we were talking about the abortion chapter that uh, that was a far more compelling address of the issue than I expected. And therefore, it was even more frustrating to me uh, that it is not something that Rush saw fit to grab the mantle on. And I said, we're probably just going to go on to the next chapter and transition and talk, I think I said tax policy. And we're pretty close to that. We're talking about the economy. And of course, nails it in so many regards. But then when he talks about uh, how a lot of the deflection uh, came about how capitalism is bad, is how it uh, hurt certain underclasses. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the data, it's clear that those underclasses were not hurt not because they didn't have access uh, to thriving within a capitalist system because of the breakdown of the household. Uh, and he's, he, he's right, but it, it's, it, it's proving my point about Russia's tendency and others over time to have things separate in a way that is fundamentally unsustainable. Just like many ways right now, people, there's certain people in our thread obsessed about tariffs, obsessed, and now this is going to break everything down. Well, I, I get it, and it, it's reasonable, but for the very same reasons, it's why you, you you cannot set aside social issues and economic issues. They must be thought of simultaneously because initially you have it where there's individuals who aren't reaping it, and you can just say, that if they just change their mind but as more and more over time how has it become a bigger problem where we don't know what a family is since then or a less of a problem it's obvious that it's more of a problem and sooner or later it, it's enough people start believing that something that isn't a family is sustainable and the way things should go capitalism can't and won't thrive which is why you you really need to be whole cloth uh, about this, I, th I, I that's where I saw a huge uh, Achilles heel in how he thinks about things. The root economia from the Greek it means household. It's about understanding at the family level how things are supposed to be fruitful and then multiply in a macro sense. And I, so I, th that's one thing I'm seeing, and it, it's only gotten worse. You, you fast forward this, however many years we've. What, what do we say that? What's the number? How? 20, 1992 is when yeah. this book came out. I mean, we, so we, 27 years ago. We get that relationship less than we did back then. So not only is this the same problem, but it, it's a problem that is far closer to spinning off the axis in terms of solvability. So Aaron, I'm gonna let you get into this when we get back from the break so that you have enough time, okay? Because we're coming close to the bottom of the hour. Got it. Let me follow up with you on that, Todd. Because this is a reoccurring theme for you. I think you've made a, a derivative of this point. 
which doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm just pointing out that this is an emphasis for you. You have made a derivative of this point in virtually every chapter. We once he once we got past his his background and him talking about issues, you have made a, a, a version of this argument seemingly every other week. Hmm. And is it because at its core, your frustration is that it's clear when you go back through this book from 27 years ago that Rush and and the industry that he spawned understood the fundamental arguments that had to be won. Yeah, it was. And, and, and we're fine with articulating them. Yes. And over the course of time, somewhere along the line, you see this as a guy who lived through this era. We just, we made some calculation. We can't win elections if we make these arguments or we can't stay in business if we do, or we just lost our way as a lot of movements do. But somewhere along the way, we just, a lot of those same people that were making these kinds of arguments 27 years ago handed off a conservatism to you that just didn't care about making these arguments anymore or didn't think they could work or lost their faith in them and, and kept granting so many, so much of what the left wants in order to win a poll uh, or to, an election to save America again that we're sitting here now and have given them almost everything they want. So it, 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 at the same time, we originally knew the fundamentals that had to be conserved and preserved to stop this from happening. And yet somewhere along the lines, we just abandoned defending at that level. Am, am I reading you right? Well, I'm interested in hearing your perspective because I had no grand plan. I had no particular malice going in. I was fascinated by us doing this and where I would end up. But I think over time, I'm making ultimately Aaron and Aaron's generation's argument about this. Like you keep talking about Rush Limbaugh and Ronald Reagan and, but what if they're, we're so great in some, and these are not, I'm not comparing them. They're not equally the, the absolutely same people, but if what they did was stood for was so great, why are we here where we are? How did, where was the fight? I mean, I, when you asked me that, I got to thinking of how Aaron has often talked to you when you ask mm-hmm. him questions. I, I guess it took you asking me that because I, I think that's where I'm at. I just don't know. There had to be a far greater legacy other than Mitch McConnell, and he's the legacy. So we're what seven chapters into this, so we're a little we're a little more than a third of the way through this book. So when we come back, I'm going to answer the question of why I wanted to do this. So, okay, and then. Aaron, it's going to be your turn. Yep. Okay. We are live and on demand here on Blaze Radio TV and podcast. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. More in a moment. You know, a low credit score could keep you from getting some of the things you want, like a credit card, a car, a new job, even a new house. That's not all. A low credit score means you'll pay higher interest rates than people with better scores. So uh, you don't want to have that. And you don't have to keep getting denied for credit. You can kickstart the comeback on your credit today. Just call the specialist at creditrepair.com. Again, that's creditrepair.com. They can help you to work uh, they can help you work to repair your credit and improve your score by removing inaccurate negative items like late payments, charge-offs, even collections and bankruptcies. Here's the number for your free credit evaluation, 800-501-3199. 
Again, that's a free credit evaluation at 800-501-3199. And when you call, you'll get a free credit report and score, and you'll find out what creditreport.com can do to help improve it. Creditreport.com helps you work toward a better score so you can have a better life. The evaluation, credit report, and score are free. So call them today at 800-501-3199. That's 800-501-3199. Now, this is not available in all states. So if you're in Georgia, Mississippi, Ohio, South Carolina, uh, not for you yet, but for everybody else, uh, you can get a free credit report and score at 800-501-3199. So Todd, we mentioned before the break that each chapter we've done here on Russia's book, you have kind of vented the same frustration, variation of it. Not by design. I, I, and you were telling me during the break, it, 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 it's just this is just your reaction as we go through yeah. this, which I think even makes the point even better. So, so here's the reason I wanted to do this book study. The main reason I wanted to do it. One of the, the frustrating things for me in my career in this movement and industry for several years now is, you know what, let me use a biblical analogy, Okay. Suppose you were the, 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 the grandchildren or the children. You were the children of the generation that messed up and God said, it's going to be 40 years out here around this mountain walking in this desert. You're the children of that generation. And now you're an adult and you have children. And, and some of your parents, most of your parents are still around. And you love your parents. And, and you have empathy for the mistakes that they made and, and the plight that they are undergoing, which has sentenced you to some of that plight to endure, right? Because all you've known your whole life is circling this mountain too, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, though, you have a family. And your children, their grandchildren, are like, yo, pops, uh, when do we get to stop walking around this mountain? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and so you're in between these generations where the grandparents have kind of one look at this and maybe one nostalgic look at this. The next generation who's never walked a mile in their shoes at all, so they have like no empathy for their plight at all, is just like, Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, we can stop this anytime now. So they're almost at the point, they're almost kind of rooting for them to die off, right? And you feel like you're torn between these two camps. On one hand, those are your parents, and you love them. They brought you into this world, they raised you, they fed you, they took care of you. Um, and on the other hand, these are your kids, and you're going home every night, and you guys are sitting around the dinner table, and they're like, so, uh, what's up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, like... How many more, you know, I've, I've got these whole, uh, I've got this whole uh, Torah thing memorized and uh, that land over there over the ridge looks a lot friendlier this time of year. So, you know, why am I still walking around the mountain here? Yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of that in a, in a philosophical sense where conservatism is concerned. There's the folks, some of the people who mentored me who came came who came of age, you know, at, at times like the Sharon statement, and then you know came to their zenith in the Reagan years, 
And they're very nostalgic for that time. And I understand it. And I have a high degree of regard for it. I also recognize that, you know, we had record deficits, that we also um, set the stage for amnesty that uh, turned California into essentially America's first openly communist state, right? I mean, I have a high regard for Ronald Reagan and his era. But but since I don't have a nostalgic attach it to, attachment to it on on a on an existential level, it, I can also see that it was great. It it also wasn't you know the um, the millennial kingdom, right? You right. Know? Okay. Because some of those choices my generation is now suffering mm-hmm. through. Okay. And then there's your kids. Aaron would be in that generation. He's only a few years older than my oldest daughter. Who is like, so tariffs, huh? That's what the conservatism is. So we're cutting another check to Planned Parenthood, but those Democrats are just the terrible baby killers. So, hey, Pops, can you explain this one to me? Right? Yeah. And so I hear what my kids are saying over there. And then I hear what the generation who is mentoring me is saying over there. And and I'm, I'm constantly getting it from one ear or not, or the other from both sides of this. I'm in the in between generation. You and I are, mm-hmm. and so one of the reasons the primary that that's why I wanted to do this again. The main reason why was there ever a time we articulated the basic fundamentals of our argument, or am I just nostal nostalgizing it? If that is is that a word? Um, maybe that we did. Maybe we never did, and that, because trust me, it's two totally different different solutions if we were never making these fundamental arguments and then we got out flanked with our pants down by the left. That, that requires one solution, right? And then there's another solution that's a lot more uncomfortable. If at some time and point we were doing this and then, now we're, and then we stopped, because then you got to start finding out when did we stop, who stopped it, and why did we stop? And that's when things get like really uncomfortable. That's when relationships get frayed and, and careers get lost and bridges get burned and you end up on a blacklist on Fox News, right? That, that's, that's where that happens. That's why most people in our industry won't go there. But that's why I wanted to do this book study because I, I, I don't remember a, the stuff in clips I see people share of Rush now. I don't remember listening to that stuff in 1989 and 1992 and 1995. But I might have been. I just might have just hyper nostalgic, nostalgic this, right? Mm-hmm. So going back through this, since you can't go back and find radio show archives from 1991, you know, you go back and read this, and and I wanted to get the answer. Were we ever saying these things like I thought my imagination thought we were, like I remembered, or were we never saying them? And I just, you know, hyper sentimentalized this. And I think we keep finding, right? Mm-hmm. That as we go through this, we were doing this. Yeah, we were saying these things. We were confronting their 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 pagan premises, their Marxist premises. We were confronting this head on. Which, when we're done with this, will require then for us to find out: was there a point in time that explains when and who and why we stopped doing so? And I don't and I don't know. If we're going to get that answer in this study. But, but I think we had to get the answer to the first question before we even mm-hmm. explored the second one. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, absolutely. Does that kind of explain your frustration a little bit too? 
It, oh, it does in part. And I think part of the answer is before you even get to whatever pushback the left had is it was. And I think this might be where when did we self edit. Is that what well, you're saying? Yeah. Well, we, we were self editing it all along because of how scattershot we were. People weren't seeing the big picture about what it means to be conservative. The issues, there was no cohesiveness to tying this all together. And you, you see strains or rushes there, and then he's not all of a sudden. And it's just, it's, it's so important to understand the fundamentals. Ultimately, all of our faith, ultimately, as you say, it's about a person. It's the same thing about all this, this creed that we have just when it comes to civics. What is it all about? Is it just a bunch of, is it just a scorecard? Is it just a... Is, is it just a scoreboard, these mm-hmm. issues we telling them up at the end? You will, even without pushback of any serious nature, you will lose cohesiveness. You will fray. That happened to the Jews over and over again, and it's happened to us as, as Americans. Aaron, the floor is now yours. Uh, the late R.C. Sproul in uh, The Truth Project, and I believe I'm paraphrasing this correctly, he distinguishes between ethics and morality. Uh, ethics is your stated belief system, your stated worldview. Morality is your acted upon worldview, what you really believe, because mm. what you really, how you act is how you really believe. And we talked about this multiple times uh, in passing as uh, to, to, to underscore the point about um, you know, the swamp or what have you. But one of the main reasons why so many politicians who are otherwise solidly conservative and really have that fire in their belly, think Scott Walker, often are led astray, often crash and burn, is because they listen to what we call the consultant class. And the consultant class, as we've made the point multiple times, always tries to cater their message and, by extension, the politician they are hired by uh, always try, t- tends to cater that message to the 2% of people who really believe they are fiscally, uh, fiscally conservative but socially liberal or libertarian. That's how so many people are led, as, uh, led astray. So many otherwise great politicians, I believe, are, are led astray. How this relates to the, the, the conversation that we're, ha- that, that we're having here, I thought it was fascinating. The order of these chapters, last week's chapter and this week's chapter. Last week's chapter, abortion, our next civil war. This week's chapter all about these leftist notions of, of economics. What we witnessed, I believe, and what we're witnessing is this notion born out over the last 25 years. Let me, let me just illustrate it this way. If I turned on Rush Limbaugh today, what are we more likely to hear about? Or let's, let's say last week. What are we more likely to, to, to hear about? Are we more likely to hear about uh, Bernie Sanders having to cut back workers' hours because, uh, because he wants to pay them $15 an hour? Or are we more likely to hear about Leanna, Dr. Leanna Wen being fired from Planned Parenthood? Somewhere along the way, I think this is indicative of this industry, this movement as a whole. Somewhere along the way, people en masse fell for the notion that it's more comfortable to talk about money and economics because we don't have to get our hands dirty by taking a stand uh, on something more, yep, uh, more. That's what I'm talking more. about, Aaron. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By getting your hands dirty. The only reason why you would think about getting your hands dirty is if you already have bread in your ledger. There are so many people in every generation, but it seems like this generation as well, 
that have so much red in their moral ledger that they see it as getting their hands dirty by taking a stand on the moral issues while not seeing at the same time that one man's immorality today is your subsidy tomorrow. And that's what we're seeing. I, I, think, that, I think this perfectly illustrates why we have had no, mo- no movement for the last 25 years. Is because, yes, we may be conservative deep down in our ethic, but our morality, what we are willing to act upon because of, our, because of that sense of guilt and hypocrisy, because we all have read in our ledger, our morality as it pertains to our worldview is something completely different. And we made a bargain that, yes, we'll talk about money and economics because we don't feel like we have to get into the morality and it's a language that everybody can speak and I don't have to feel dirty about myself instead of talking about what really matters and what really is at the heart and soul of, of all of the issues. I don't care what we're talking about next. Really at the heart and the soul of our, all of these issues. And that is, uh, that is our own morality and where that comes from. What we're willing to act upon. And I think that's perfectly, perfectly illustrated in the last two chapters. That's very well said. Here, here's my big fear. You offered a choice of topics you thought would get discussed today. And my fear is neither one would. Based on the stuff people share with me that I see trending, my fear that this would just all be whatever the latest version of Trump's nine-dimensional chess is taking place. That neither one of those existential issues would come up. Okay, so I I went to Russia's website towards the end of of, uh, what you were sharing there, Aaron, to see what was trending on his site. I haven't visited the site and I can't tell you how many years. They've done it. They've redone a lot of it, by the way. So here's, so I'm just, I have no idea what's here. I'm going to scroll down this in real time with you guys. Okay. All right. So here are the, the top 10 stories. That's top 10 stories on Russia's site. Number one, they've raised $2 million. Don't comment until we get done. Okay. Because we, we want to take this in, in context. Is this okay? top 10 by clicks? What he's got listed in okay. order on his, what's trending on his site. Okay. okay, whatever their methodology is. Okay. Number one is $2 million in donations raised for uh, from uh, Betsy Ross, uh, charitable nation to Tunnel to Towers, is selling Betsy Ross flag t-shirts. Okay. Number two, Moeller said to breathe new life into the Russia hoax. Number three, Rush returns to Fox and Friends to announce... Uh, a million and a half uh, Betsy Ross t-shirt donation from for Tunnel to Towers. Uh, number four, I condemn myself for my hot Fox and Friends appearance. This is Rush responding to CNN's John King, who accused him of mocking a woman's Latino accent on Fox. Number five, we have a choice to make, folks. Are we going to double down against the left and really take them on and not take their guff, or are we going to defer? Uh, and you have to be a subscriber to see what these clips are about. So I'm just going by the headlines, okay? Number six, don't be surprised if Michelle Obama gets into the Democratic presidential race. Number seven, drive by, celebrate 50th anniversary of the Apollo mission with typical anti-American anger. Number eight, Mort Kondracki's take on the state of the Democrat Party. Number nine, Trump keeps getting asked about the send her back chant. And number 10, 11-year-old sports fan on the NFL and patriotism. Wow. That's a lot of click servitism, yo. Setting aside the the 
fundraiser that I'm not entirely sure what it's all about, but that's fine if that's raising money for a good cause. I mean, we can just set that aside. I mean, that's, uh, as you like to say, that's a lot of uh, position and very little conviction. So that was your takeaway from that list? Yes. Okay. What'd you think, Aaron? About the same thing. I mean, we do bleep Democrats say every week. And, I mean, we put a lot of that in the, in the montage as well. But I'm like, I, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about if I handed you a, a list of things to talk about, potential, if you were a typical host and I did a bunch of show prep for you and I handed you this list of, of uh, potential talking points for today, but you still had the same com- convictions that you do, you would probably, I don't know, you, I don't know, you, you would probably uh, ball that up, uh, that piece of paper up and throw yeah. it at me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably some truth to that. Um, hmm. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, having um, fun yet? Yeah, and I, I would just like to know how did we go from, or, or what's no? Let me rephrase that. What is the point? To you know, when Donald Trump took over, there were the fewest elected Democrats in public office in all fifty states mm-hmm. since before FDR reimagined the election map with the New Deal. So before the Great Depression, nineteen twenty-eight. Nineteen twenty-eight was the last time there were this few. In all, when you add up Congress, the legislature, governors, all of the state legislatures, all right, the last time we had this few Democrats in elected office in America, we didn't have fifty states. In fact, we were like 30 years away from having 50 states the last time, 1928. We're about 25 years away from having 50 states. We hadn't built interstates yet. Well, the question you're asking is for We just what? built the Transcontinental Railroad to, you know, to go from the, mid, from the East Coast out to California. Yeah. Okay? So how did we, how did we, what was the point of decimating their ranks? Right only to permit them to outflank us every place else except the ballot box. That's what, I'm, yep. that's what I'm trying to figure out. And when did that happen and who permitted that or who thought, didn't see it coming? Because I, I think we need some answers to that so we don't sentence another generation to what's going on right now. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.